You're listening to the Amazing Women Podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Today's guest is Pat Iyer. When I think of amazing women, women like Pat come to mind. She's a ghostwriter, an editor, a legal nurse consultant, a coach, and has various online businesses. If you have a book inside you and you just can't get it out, she'll help you with that, or she'll write it for you. She's been very successful and has done many things over her long career. She's a pleasure to talk with, and she has either written or edited over 800 chapters. So you can imagine my first question to her was, well, how many books have you actually written? Uh, the 49. Wow, you've written 49 books for, that you wrote out of your head, the whole thing? Not not as a ghostwriter or as an editor or anything, just for you? Uh, not as a ghostwriter or editor. Now, some of them were books where other people offered chapters. Okay, so like I a chicken soup kind of book? Contributed books and textbooks. And then I was the editor or a co-editor. The largest number of editors I had on any book was we had four of us on a book that had bloomed into two two separate volumes, hardcover. You know, like if you put them together, they would be this high. Oh, that's about six inches. Yeah, they were big books, although they probably wouldn't be that large today since the books are smaller in size. True, and they'd be all digital anyway. So do you find that uh, most people who write books – they're not really going to make much money on it. It's very difficult. But most people I know who write books, they do it either as a memoir, like you said, or for credibility to help them in their business to get speaking gigs or to get clients or whatever. If you hand somebody a book you wrote, if you're a financial planner, for example, and you hand somebody a book on finances, it automatically elevates you among everybody else. So that's really useful. Do you find that you have a lot of people asking you to write books like that? And do they actually help these people in their business? They do. Those are the people that I interview on my podcast, Writing to Get Business. I interview authors who've written business books, and we talk about what motivated them, how did they come up with their idea, what format did they follow, what has that book done for their business, what other books do they have that they plan to write. It seems like everybody's got another one at least tucked away in their brain. <laughs> Uh, I will tell people candidly that I've made about 35 cents an hour in royalties on my books. And, <laughs> but I have made millions of dollars from the opportunities that opened up because I had written my books. That's interesting. And a lot of that comes from being an expert witness, which I did for 25 years. Having a textbook meant that I was getting paid at – the rate of 200 to $250 an hour to review cases and to go into court to testify. Those books helped with my credibility, and then I've continued to coach legal nurse consultants since I sold my company. Most people know me from the books that I've written. So they've all compiled my authority and credibility because of those publications, if I hadn't done any of that writing, I would be no different than anyone else in the field. So that worked beautifully for you. Mm -hmm. It did. It did. 
Yeah, and it enabled me to sell my company for more than a million dollars, which is, um, it's unusual in the legal nurse consulting world for a company to be that large. And it's unusual to be able to sell a service business, particularly one where a buyer might think, oh, well, the attorneys just come because they want to work with Pat. Right. When you're gone, the business is gone. Yes, that was a concern. So when I, I knew that I wanted to sell the company because my husband was pushing for us moving to Florida from New Jersey, I consciously made a decision to bring in more expert witnesses. Ah, and okay, then, so you grew your business. Yep. So I billed for their services. I took 50% of every dollar. They were all there out there generating income all times of the day and night for my company. And then when I went to a business broker and said, here, I've got this business I want to sell. Well, it became saleable because it didn't depend on me delivering all the services. There was all this other layer of people and all this money sitting in the bank accounts for retainers that the attorneys had paid. And that became a tangible asset that somebody else found appealing enough to come and buy the business. Well, that little nugget of information is enough to make it worthwhile for somebody to listen to our discussion. You know, people like that who are, how do I really make money in my business? It's just me. Well, there's a way to do it. Uh, you're not only a, a good editor and a good writer, obviously you're a really good businesswoman. And so you've got all those things together, which is uh, a rarity. And you seem to be proud of your work, but humble at the same time, which is really nice to see. You know, you seem like a nice person. So I got to ask you then, <laughs> you you worked on on this to build up your business so that you could sell it and then move to Florida, but you're still in New Jersey. So what happened? We keep two houses. Oh, so you actually bought a house in Florida. We had we bought a house in 2011 in Florida and then became Florida residents in 2015 when I sold the company. And now we split our time between the two houses, although Quite honestly, Rob, the, the numbers of COVID cases in Florida are extraordinarily high compared to New Jersey. So we are getting to the point of saying, you know, maybe we won't go back to Not for a while in the October timeframe, which is what we would typically mm. do. We don't feel comfortable traveling on planes. And the drive up here was arduous, a three-day ordeal that neither one of us want to repeat anytime soon. So we may just be up here and COVID, snow and ice. Let's <laughs> I think the snow and ice might win out this year. Yeah, not so bad. Uh, I don't think COVID will last forever. Hopefully not. Uh, eventually it'll go away like everything else does. And then things will return back to somewhat normal and you'll still have your house. You can go down there. And uh, Which part of Florida is it? Uh, Southwest Florida, Fort Myers. Oh, that's nice there. Okay. Yeah. So do is there is there more cases of COVID in Florida than in New Jersey because people in New Jersey are tougher? Well, New Jersey has <laughs> has a respect for the rules. There were eight thousand cases in Florida a couple of days ago, new cases compared to four hundred in New Jersey. And we live in a rural part of New Jersey, close to the Delaware River, where there are not a lot of people. There are more deer than people. 
in our area. So we feel safer here. And everybody wears a mask and they maintain social distancing. And it's not even a debate. Uh, The people in Florida have not embraced those concepts to the same degree. Well, that's a really good example of why people should be wearing masks and how one place it worked and the other place where they didn't wear masks, they're getting sick. And it's pretty clear cut to me, but you know, I can't convince anybody of anything. So I can only protect like you, right? You can only protect ourselves. I wear a mask and whatever they're going to do, they're going to do. Besides, I I don't leave my house much. I go to Home Depot and Costco and back. That's about it. (laughs) (laughs) So in business, as an editor and as a writer, do you have any uh, life lessons or things that you've tried that you, you were sure would work really well that didn't work at all? I mean, you can't have success with every single thing you've done, right? Yeah, I had a business that I started that I had to give up after 18 months in which I was convinced that the public needed to understand how to protect themselves within the healthcare system how to ask questions, um, what type of warning flags to look out for when they interacted with healthcare providers, that, you know, the people who won't take the time to answer their questions or don't correctly identify them before starting a procedure. I knew that people needed that information and it would save people's lives. What I didn't realize is that people didn't want the information. They found it to be frightening. Oh. And I created a 50-page newsletter. I wrote blogs. I did interviews. I sent out emails. I pushed this, pushed this, and pushed this and set it up as a membership site at uh, $19.97 per month. And I got one person who lived in Hawaii who signed up for this program and stayed with it for 18 months. But not another single person joined the program. Oh, that's definitely a failure. Uh, great. You know, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not, you know, pe- people are afraid to fail. And, and uh, I want to illuminate that, that, hey, you're very successful. You've made lots of money. You're not fabulously wealthy, but you've done pretty well for yourself. And you seem happy with what you did. And yet not everything you did worked. And so... Don't be afraid to fail is the moral here. And if you do fail, just get back up and try something else. Did you learn something from that experience? Well, I did. I learned a couple of things. I got hired by one of my guests as a podcast moderator. He ran patient safety podcasts in the same Hmm. niche that we're talking about, but he had a different approach. He was promoting to the healthcare providers as opposed to the patient's. So in the time that I acted as his podcast moderator, he paid me more money than all the money that I had put into the business that didn't turn out well. And then that led me to start my first podcast four years ago for legal nurse consultants. And then the new podcast that I started called Writing to Get Business. Um, I did also learn that that principle that Just because people need something doesn't mean that they want it. You know, the marketers will say, sell people what they want, give them what they need. I couldn't get them to want that, so there wasn't a way to build on it. 
And I do strongly believe that patient safety is crucial and that that patients need to be well-informed. There are a number of books along that line, but I couldn't make inroads into that community. I did find out after I closed the business down that there was a whole group of people on a Facebook group or two who did get it because they had a family relative who was injured from medical malpractice. They were awake. They knew that there was a possibility. They were motivated, but I wasn't connected to them when I was running this business. I found them after the fact, and I had already decided, okay, Pat, how long are you going to keep doing something that's not working before you say you've tried it and you're done and enough is enough? So how long How long did it take you to come to that conclusion? It was, was 18 months. 18 months, right? Yep. So you, you actually put your heart and soul into it for 18 months before you said, I can't, it's not going to work. Just, actually, that's hard. How do people know when to cut and run and when just to not give up? If you hear stories of people who go, you know what? I just refused to give up. And then and it took all this time. And one day it just clicked and I'm done really well. And other people, they've uh, worked on a business and just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it and lost every single thing. And five years later, they're still trying. They still don't have any business and they don't know when to quit. Had it, you know, it's tough to have that wisdom to know whether you're giving up too soon or you're hanging on for not a good reason. Right. Is that just mental intuition? I think that's a great question, Rob. And if we knew the answer to that question, we could save a lot of heartbreak. <laughs> right? Do the assessment test. Are you beating your head against the wall or is success just around the corner? Choose A for, <laughs> I don't know. I Perhaps part of the answer is talking to people outside of your mindset, people who might be more objective. There was, um, there's this Shark Tank show that I saw a little clip of one time when I went to a conference and there was a guy who had created this round wooden tray and it had a little hockey puck type thing that you flicked with your finger. And that's all it did. It just ricocheted off the wall. And the guy who was interviewing him said, all right, well, what does the game do? And he said, well, this is what it does. You just... (laughs) And he said, how long have you been trying to market this game? And he said, six years. (laughs) He said, well, what kind of response are you getting? He says, well, no one seems to be interested yet. (laughs) Yeah. Don't be the hockey puck. There you go. Don't be the hockey puck. That's a good mantra. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say six years is too long for almost anything. Right? I mean, that's, that's a long time. And he his wife, he'd gone through his life savings. I think his wife had left him. He was selling his house. He was getting almost to the point of being homeless for this little stupid hockey puck game. But, you know, if you talk to people who have wisdom, who can help you, and you're willing to hear, and that's critical because I'm sure you've met Rob, and I know I've met people who whose minds are closed, who don't want feedback, who have their own ideas, and they're not willing to modify what they do, and they will keep repeating the same errors because they're not receptive in any way whatsoever. 
Yeah, they're called newscasters and politicians. <laughs> no, seriously, I haven't met people like that. And everybody's like that to some extent. The trick is not to make it to a large extent because, you know, we have our egos invested in things and previous commitments. And it's like having a car, you know, you have to you keep fixing it. And there's a point where you have to say, you know what, just get rid of the darn thing and buy a new car. Stop putting money into it because something's going to break next week. Just like business, you know, sometimes it pays to hold on and sometimes it's like, don't do it and keep an open mind. And somebody tells you it's not going to work. Well, you know, don't take them on faith, but check it out. What's that old expression? Um, if enough people tell you you're a horse, you think about saddling up. Right. I haven't heard that expression. I yeah. like that one. Yeah, it's a good one. So sometimes it pays to listen to people. What confuses people and confuses me are people every once in a while. They're usually are geniuses, but nevertheless, guys like Steve Jobs came around and he's one of his famous quotes was something like, people don't know what they want until I show it to them. So it's hard to say. Am I feeling a need? Am I feeling a want? A lot of times there is no want. There is no need. You have to have the faith that what you come up with is something that when people see it, they're going to want it. Mm -hmm. But even Apple has had some pretty big failures, right? And it has, yeah. And some phenomenal successes. Some phenomenal, right. So I think that's the other side of the coin. To be phenomenally successful, you've got to take risks and you have to know when to quit. And when to stick with it, when to hold them, and when to fold them. Same yes. thing, right? Yes. Be a poker player. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what's what's in the your future? Uh, are you going to do what you're doing for a while yet, or are you getting ready to retire? Or you know, what do you think? I don't know what the word retire means. Quite honestly, that's the answer I wanted to hear. But I was curious. <laughs> I suspected that. Um, I continue to take on projects. My husband and I were just talking about this not long ago, that the idea of doing nothing is not something either one of us is comfortable with. We both need to be active and need to be busy. I would like to, as my next move, uh, I've been teaching people how to write books. I'm going to create a vehicle, most likely a membership site to help them in the launch of their books and then monetizing their books, looking at all the ways that they can capitalize on their knowledge. Because, you know, we talked about earlier that being an author itself doesn't pay the bills as much as the opportunities that come from being an author. Can you repeat so, that? Being an author itself doesn't pay the bills as much as the opportunities that come from being an author, the doors that are opened. The fact that when I published my first book in 1986, that made me attractive as an expert witness to attorneys. And it gave me opportunities to be a speaker. I got invited to, to um, several countries around the world to give talks because I was the co-author of that particular book, which was on a specific aspect in nursing. It's That's great. You know, great insights. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody says, why are you writing a book for? You're not going to make any money on it. You could say, so what? I'll make money. It may not be from the book, but I'll be successful because of it. If I do a good enough job and my heart's in it. And it, as long as there's 
room for success in that niche, right? You could write a book on something that nobody cares about, but for the most part, you'll find an audience, right? The most obscure thing has some audience. It if does. You can, if it you can does. find them. And if you want to be a speaker today, it is a requirement to have a book. It doesn't even have to be a bestseller. It doesn't even have to be really good. The fact that it exists gives speakers a competitive edge. Wow. So can you make a book cover with empty white pages and put it on Amazon for a dollar and say, I have a book? <laughs> I think Amazon would spot that. In fact, there, there was a, a story that came out, I guess it was about a year ago, a guy wanted to show that Amazon's bestseller system could be gamed. Hmm. So he hmm. took a photograph of his left foot and he put it on some, he put it on a page and he made a cover and a back and he uploaded it as my left foot as the name of the book. And then he put it in this really obscure category so that after I think five people bought it, it became an Amazon bestseller. And then he wrote about it and exposed this whole effort that he had made. (laughs) (laughs) And I I would assume that Amazon has since, because of the publicity associated with that, tightened their criteria so that that doesn't happen again. But unless say there are books that, that do have blank paper that people use for diaries that individuals yeah that's true yeah but you can't get a speak engagement on that based on that can you but no i mean that would be that would be pretty thin intellectual property unless you're giving a speech on how to do a diary yes yes then maybe right Right. but otherwise (laughs) i could write a book like that Uh, you know everything men know about women and just you know (laughs) be empty three pages (laughs) nothing or, or you know the best diet in the world and i could write you know eat less exercise more everything in moderation and that's the only diet that's ever worked consistently over the years but nobody's going to buy it right mm-hmm. that's, that's the problem although make a good gift but um I, I understand what you're saying if you want to be a speaker and you want to be looked upon as an expert in your field the device that the public uh relates to that feels like yeah this person must know what they're doing is have a book and, and most people won't even bother reading it anyway. They just want to see you have it. They'll read the blurb. They'll read the title. Maybe they'll read the first few pages. And they go, oh, that sounds good. All right. You know, they look like they know what they're talking about. I'll go see them or I'll pay the money or I'll hire them. Mm-hmm. So if you have a business and you want to take it to the next level by speaking or even by finding new clients to set you apart, the answer, one of the answers is write a book, right? It is. It Until is. such time that everybody is writing books and then it'll be useless. But that's a long way out. And, you know, the statistics that I've heard, Rob, and they're not real recent, I haven't seen anything more current, is that 80% of the people believe they have a book inside them. 81% was the number. Hmm. And less than 1% will actually ever write those books. Well, I can believe that. It's, it's we have a ways of, to go before we got yeah. everybody writing their books. Uh, I I agree. Yeah, yeah. The other statistic I like is something like eighty percent of people think they're the best. They're be- better drivers than the other guy. <laughs> we know that's not true. That is true. But, yeah. yeah. Writing a book is not, as you well know. Maybe for you it's easy, but I doubt it. But for most people, it's certainly not easy. It's a lot of work. It's difficult. 
they don't know where to start. They don't know how to get past chapter one, whatever. Your service as a ghostwriter at that point becomes invaluable, correct? That's yes. either you jump in and you say, I can write it or you ask the right questions. Yeah, the ghostwriter helps get the book out of the person. Uh, the book coach role is is part accountability coach and part brainstorming and part objective reviewer of the material that the author is writing. Because sometimes you're in a vacuum mm. without knowing whether what you're writing is any good. But if you give it to another person who's trained in being able to evaluate the material, then you don't end up wasting a lot of time. That's another benefit of working with an experienced author. I can see that. Sure. That's, you know, you're, you definitely have a lot of experience in what you're talking about, and you've given me several good nuggets of information. The last thing I want to ask you is just out of curiosity, do you also do copywriting or do you just do books? Copy editing, do you copy, mean? No, writing. Like if somebody wanted to wanted oh. a, a, a copy for their website, a few paragraphs, you know, to say what they do and uh, that kind of thing. I have, yeah. Have. I've done that for... For several people, as well as for my websites, which seem to keep multiplying and needing attention. <laughs> so if it's a written word, you can pretty much do it and you're willing to do it if it's interesting enough and the price is right. Yes. Right, you won't take on every single assignment. There are things I'm sure you've said, I don't, I don't, not, so, not interested. But uh, you probably turned down not too many things, I would imagine. Well, I'm not strong and have nothing to offer in poetry or in fiction. Those are two types okay. of writing that I love to consume, but I'm not the person to, to do the ghost writing in particular. Or even, even extensive editing. Like, I wouldn't know how to edit a poem other than to pick up grammatical mistakes or words that didn't rhyme if it was supposed to rhyme. But give me a nonfiction business book. Oh, you know, that's right up my alley. It's up your alley, yeah. Do you, are you good at spotting books that famous people have written that they really weren't written by them, that a ghostwriter wrote it? Uh, just put sportsman, sports figure, or politician after anyone's name, and chances are pretty good that person had a ghostwriter. Although they don't always acknowledge that they've used a ghostwriter because the ghostwriter can be listed on the the cover or acknowledged inside. But sometimes people want the world to believe that they've written the book and there's a confidentiality agreement. Do you care you care one way or the other whether your name's on the book or not? I would like to be acknowledged if that's within the agreement, but it doesn't have to be that way. My website is patire.com, P-A-T-I-Y-E-R.com. And there's a contact form on it. And you also have a pretty good LinkedIn page, correct? I do. Just type in Pat Iyer into LinkedIn and they'll, they'll find you. And do you also have other social media, uh, Facebook or Instagram, any of those, um, Twitter? Yes, Facebook, all of the above. Facebook is Pat Iyer. Twitter is Pat Iyer. Instagram, I believe, is Patricia Iyer. Which way do you prefer to be contacted? What does it matter? Uh, through the website is probably the easiest way. Okay, and for those listening, if you completely forgot all that, you could always write me uh, an email or a note, and I'll make sure I get it to Pat. 
As long as you spell my last name, you can find me, P-A-T-I-Y-E-R, Pat Iyer. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com, to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.